Hello everyone, Bobby Wilson here from the TNT College Football Podcast. Glad to be back on this evening. Hope everybody's doing well. If you're listening to this uh, episode, uh, I'm super excited to have uh, former UConn Husky Pete Kalen on the show. Pete, thanks for joining me. Bobby, thank you for having me. Um, very blessed to be on your show, and uh, I'm glad, you know, happy about the friendship we're developing as well. So Absolutely. thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I, I love our discussions that we have back and forth on Twitter. So now I'm excited that we can kind of do this right here. And and especially with you being a former uh, Husky football player, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it, man. It's going to be it's going to be you know, fun, you know, shooting back and forth and just comparing notes and letting the world know about um, the alpha dogs of the Huskies. Absolutely. UConn. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and talk about uh, your high school days heading, heading in, leading up to UConn. Okay. Well, I was kind of a late bloomer in high school. You know, it's kind of ancient history. Uh, it was so <laughs> long ago, but I was a late bloomer. Um, had an injury in my junior year that made me miss about the last third to a quarter of the season and I wasn't too productive quite honestly as a junior as much as I was expected to be um did switch positions from quarterback to running back and DB um, but it didn't go as well as I thought you know it's kind of a you know immature high school player thought and I could just walk on the field and uh do my thing because of my athletic ability but it didn't work out and so you know when my senior year just looking in the mirror expecting it to be my last year ever playing football. And so I just want to look in the mirror and just say, this is my last year. Uh, I'm going to give them all and just be able to walk away and know that I played my best. And it turned out that I you know, had great games against some high school All-Americans, um, most notably a guy named Irv Smith who played a couple years at Notre Dame and um, – played in the NFL with the Niners and a couple other guys that went to high profile, you know, colleges and end up having roughly seven offers um, in the, my senior year. Most of them FCS, um, two FBS schools came in late my, after I made up my mind to commit to UConn. Uh, those were Minnesota and Temple, but, and I felt, felt right about UConn. I was blessed with uh, my father who uh, played at Michigan um, and knew about the uh, recruiting process and the decision having to be made by a young man. So he helped me draft up a list of, you know, quality of life, quality of football life kind of issues that were important to me. Um, make a comparison list between the universities that are offering me and UConn fit the most categories. And so I committed. And that's how I became a Husky. I, I first off want to say that I love hearing that your dad played at Michigan uh, because I have that background as well with my father going to the University of Michigan as well. So I uh, I, I, I understand uh, the uh, what that means coming from a, a family of a of a father who who uh, would hold that athletic standard pretty highly it's kind of funny because um my father 
he had a unique approach. He, you know, he he knew he played football, but it wasn't something that was made a big deal. Something that he did. Um, there are things in life that he aspired to do. Um, you know, because he grew up in the '60s and '70s, was in the middle of the civil rights movement, so he was very driven to do other things. He ended up getting his law and business degree from Cornell. I mean, the man speaks five languages. He ended up being, you know, very successful in corporate, very successful in other independent business ventures. So, you know, that just gives you kind of an idea of how he was. But, you know, when it came to us, you know, all, all, all my siblings as well, you know, if we were driven enough to play, you know, he was there available and ready to give his input and help us to make the best decision for us. So very thankful to have him. That's amazing. Five foreign languages. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, it makes us it makes us it makes us all look silly. I mean, <laughs> he really does. And now he's seventy years old and he's gave up everything. He's teaching yoga. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> That's awesome. Know, he's, he's 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 one of those Renaissance Renaissance guys that's lived a full life, man. It's, you know he's happy for us, we're happy for our own lives and thankfully we don't go around trying to compare ourselves to him too much so you know yeah that's he's a unique awesome. guy that's awesome yeah. <laughs> well let's talk about your time at uconn as a student athlete all right well what do you want to know i mean i was uh i went in as an engineering student and once i had calculus kick my butt <laughs> realized i wasn't fit to be an engineering student so um I had a great counselor in Bev Sims, and she helped me to take a, you know, kind of psychological profile test to see what would fit me. And uh, two things stood out. It said nursing, and I, but I didn't want to be a nurse. And it said athletic director, which at the time I thought, oh, gee, they don't pay anything. And that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, physical therapy was an alternative that I, I was drawn to because of the, the training aspects in terms you know, that you do with patients. It's a little different than just uh, taking care of medical needs. So um, thankfully, I we already had an infrastructure in place where um, I was given a shot to earn my way into the program. It's a very competitive program. They only accept 30 students per semester out of 800 plus applicants. Um, I was very fortunate to have at the time the dean of the school was a former football player and Joe Smay, uh, some of the leading professors in there, like Mike Zito, who's a former football player. So they understood it was a unique situation in terms of a physical therapy program where you had two high profile individuals that understood the unique uh, demands of a student athlete and they were willing to give me a shot. And uh, I earned my way into the program and graduated uh, eventually with a degree uh, major in physical therapy degree in allied health so uh, a very unique path you don't f- see a lot of athletes per se graduating from the program let alone um, in the quote money sports um, basketball football um, I was fortunate enough to where I found out later from uh, Joe Smay I was one, only one of two African-American football players have ever graduated with a degree from that university, from the University of Connecticut. And 
to his knowledge, the only one that continued to play, did not uh, stop playing throughout their athletic career and graduated with that degree. So that's how it went. What, what, what does a course load for that look like? Especially, I mean, when you're in season, of course, the demands that you have as a student athlete, but then the demands that you're having from the student side, what, what does that look like? Well, because I changed over late, I was still taking some of the base courses in my latter years of playing. So it ended up working out where I was able to adjust um, some of the schedule slightly. I would be able to you know, maybe put off a class this spring semester. And so that would lighten the, the credit load up a little bit. Um, once I got into my clinicals, however, which, which did happen my, my last season, you know, you kind of have to, you know, play around with your schedule a little bit. There was actually one day per week my senior year where I came to practice late because my clinical was in Farmington, which was uh, roughly 45 minutes away at the hospital. So had to ride over there, ride back, ride to practice about 45 minutes late, get caught up, um, participate in practice, and, you know, basically manage it there. It takes a lot of folks to coordinate it if they uh if a football player is desiring to graduate in a degree um it was just in its infancy when i um played i know there are other high profile athletes at the time that wanted to get into the program but either didn't qualify or their schedule just didn't allow it um so I was very fortunate and very lucky for things to work out the way they did. I think right now, the way the infrastructure is and the academic infrastructure is, there'd probably be uh, better coordination uh, amongst the football academic staff and uh, whoever's in charge of the Allied Health program to coordinate things and help the student-athlete to succeed. So... But yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it, fortunately worked out by the grace of God. So, it, it certainly seems like it. I, I give you all the credit in the world for being able to juggle both of those at the same time. I mean, I can, from my personal experience, when I went to college, my coach was telling me, "Hey, just major in something easy, so you're here for sports all the time," and that's unfortunately what I did. And and any coach that would have proposed that to me it would not be how my dad would not be having it. I, and. I'm pretty sure they would have went into a room privately and he would have given the, the what for and the come to Jesus meaning about that. That was not going to be happening. So, um, but yeah, man, you got to have some dedication, definitely some discipline in terms of, uh, you know, engaging in, in majors like that. I know right now with, you know, with UConn, I mean, engineering was, was even tougher. And I had a teammate who went in with me and at the same time. He ended up graduating with his degree in uh, civil engineering. Big props to Bruce Burgoyne. Um, don't know how you did it because you found a way to party still. But anyway, um, he, he ended up graduating with an engineering degree when it was a lot tougher and there was a lot less will to maybe coordinate with um, student-athletes athletic department student athletes right now i know that they had a former player that i think transferred to 
Vanderbilt, who was engineer, uh, majoring in engineering. I know they have a couple other players right now that are majoring in engineering. So the infrastructure, again, is a lot more conducive in helping student-athletes to graduate with uh, those types of degrees, which I'm thankful for for them. Absolutely agree. I, I can I can speak to as a former coach. I mean, you look at these, you try and help your your student athletes as much as you can in that aspect of it. But as a coach, you're only able to do so much. So that gap being built between the quote unquote academic side and athletic side is, is such a huge thing. And I've worked at institutions where that's been very difficult. And, uh, but it's very good to see that UConn and, and many others are bridging that gap. I think the, the, the big compliment to UConn and to the state of Connecticut as a whole is they value education. Mm-hmm. And I think even more so, they value well-rounded people. So when you have that kind of culture and you have that kind of drive and goal to develop a human being in that manner, it becomes very easy and, and easier to argue um, the case for developing and uh, providing that hybrid structure for a student athletes to succeed, especially if you have a young man that's willing to to do both and to strive to be the best they can be. I mean, that should be the goal of every university anyway, is to help whatever young person is there to develop to their highest potential. And if you have, you know, student athletes, particularly, you know, whether they're, you know, especially their basketball players, especially their football players, you know, their time is limited, but they, they have the academic potential and the athletic potential to do both, help them do both. You know, I don't understand either how some of these institutions just write off people or just, you know, for lack of a better term, take a half-assed approach to, you know, getting their number, their their graduation numbers, quite frankly, maintained so that they're not in trouble and just passing a young man or young lady through. I think that's wrong. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Well, shifting back to... Your, your football days at UConn, you dealt with a ton of injuries. And I, and I know you said you dealt with some in high school as well. And and you and I have talked about this at, at a pretty good length, but I can re- completely relate to what you're talking about. I, I'd, I'd love to hear your, your process going through uh, dealing with all those injuries and, and still being able to play. And then what, what that does to you mentally as an athlete. Well, you know, it's obviously disappointing, but my mentality at the time was there wasn't anybody better on the team, and so, or at my position, and so part of that was was saying, okay, this happened, let's get back healthy again because I know, you know, when my A game's on compared to your A game, your A game's not going to be better than mine, and so that, you know that was the approach that helped me and motivated me to get back into action and to deal with the injuries I had. Plus a lot of the injuries I had were kind of freakish. Um, I ended up somehow, some way, well, I shouldn't say somehow, some way, I just described how I did it, but you know, I earned up a starting spot every year I was eligible. And it was just with that approach, you know, to attack it and, and get back. Um, 
partly also my respect for the human body that despite you know anything that happens to it you provide it with the right stimulus it, it can heal from anything you know you you're not i don't know if you grew up with this but you know in the in the 70s sometimes you watch tv and they have these tv shows of amazing feats and you see these mothers lifting cars to save their babies and i'm just like you know that that kind of spoke to me to the potential of 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 a human being so you know healing from an injury to me my mindset was well why not uh it's, it's going to happen if i if i focus and i focus my energies on that so that was my approach and um but yeah like you know getting let's see what i get i got concussions in my, my first year i got a concussion and uh it was funny too because i remember it was against north carolina and, and it was when they were loaded it was for, it was during um matt brown's first tenure mm. and yeah guys like natron means the white here and everybody and second play of the game get a concussion from this running back eric blunt you know need me right in the head and we're watching film monday and i couldn't remember plays for nearly a quarter and a half and we had Steve Spagnuolo, you know, the same guy who just was a defense coordinator and won a Super Bowl. He we're in a film room, and he's like, Pete, what are you doing? You're lining up on the wrong side. And I never told anybody I had a concussion because I didn't want to come out and play it, which was stupid. I never came out of the game. And I told them, you know, I had a concussion, I think, but they, they thought I was making it up because I never reported it. And it wasn't until the next game that I repeated the concussion that they finally, you know, confirmed it. So um, concussions there, dislocated thumb later in the season. Um, bruised kidney my sophomore year on a kick return, my one kick return in my career. Um, and then the big injury was during my junior year where in a non-contact drill in practice, two games in the season, I cracked my hip socket. Mm. Just landed wrong. Uh, and I knew something was wrong a half hour in when I, after I couldn't run, you know, so I kept practicing thinking I just jammed my hip pretty bad. And then it wasn't until my senior year, I was, you know, fully healthy. So that's pretty much, you know, what I faced, but you know, the attitude was just to come back and just make the best of things and, you know, perform to my potential and it worked out. It definitely did. You had a darn good senior year. It was decent, yeah. Uh, I think um, I had about, I was third on the team in tackles. Um, we had a guy that was drafted in the fourth round that year. He led the team, Paul Duckworth, good friend of mine. And then Bruce, the guy I mentioned earlier, he was second, in, in, I think, on the team, total tackles. I was third. Um couple picks in, you know, type of season that where I could at least, again, look myself in the mirror and say I, I gave it my all and I did the best I could. And, you know, was, that one was tough because my hip, I don't think, was 100% until maybe the third or second of the last game of the season. I, I did not have the same kick, same juice. And, you know, that type of, that type of injury takes a long time because, you know, you got to recondition your body to – the game conditions and you know when you're not weight bearing for three months and then having to rehab in a pool and everything else you still come some somehow come back um you know that was a tough deal but 
you know, again, I could look at myself in the mirror and say I had the best season I could possibly have. And at the end of the day, that that's all that really matters from that regard, that you can look at yourself and say, I, I did the best I could and and you succeeded. And I know we were talking beforehand, you, you, had, you had some opportunities to go to the next level, but you had to make some tough choices too. Yes. Um, you know, you know, alternate routes that, that existed. We didn't have, well, we had NFL Europe was just coming into effect. We had a local um, arena team that was just coming into existence. And uh, I was told by the coaches I was going to make the team, but their practice schedule uh, conflicted a lot with my class schedule. And um, I had to make a choice because if I miss classes, I my spot would get withdrawn from the PT program. And, um, you know, between my degree and, and my career and a possible shot at pros, you know, I had to make a choice. And so I chose uh, my degree. And that was it. That was the end of it. And that's worked out very well for you professionally, it seems. It has. It's It's been rewarding. Um, you know, you always ask the questions, what if, if you would have, you know, dedicated your full resources to, to one cause. But, you know, um, I have had a very rewarding career in terms of helping people and, um, the charity aspect, particularly in terms of my, my faith, my faith life and the vocational aspect in terms of helping folks really gets fulfilled, um, in physical therapy, particularly with the branch I do, which is, I, I do home care now. And, uh, you know, you get to, you know, work with a lot of people one-on-one and help a lot of folks with simple things from recovering from replacement surgeries to, you know, more complex and more challenging things like, you know, learning how to walk again after a, a stroke. Um, and when you, when you do that, um, that kind of fulfillment rivals anything you did with making plays because you help another human being, especially if they're told by other doctors or other therapists will never do things again. I've had a lot of instances where thankfully, you know, from my experiences and from the trainings I've had, I've been able to help people where they haven't had uh, successful help in other areas or from other folks. And when that happens, that's extremely fulfilling and you, you feel like you're doing some kind of meaningful work and a little touch of God's work um, through your efforts. So, yeah, it's it's been very fulfilling. God's definitely blessed you in that in that realm of your life. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes you know, like I said before the screening, uh, before the show, uh, you know, I knew how I was going to do this much paperwork and this much writing. I would have very seriously considered journalism. <laughs> um, but it is what it is. And, uh, no, I wouldn't trade it. It's, it's been very, very fulfilling, very cool life. That's awesome. And, and, and I know you, you've had some really, really good success coaching as well at, at many different levels. Yeah, this, this is probably where I do imitate my dad a little bit. Somehow I've been able to juggle full-time jobs, full-time careers with, uh, with coaching. And I never thought I'd get into it, 
Um, first team I coached was a Pop Warner team that um, my friend Paul Duckworth asked me to coach um, back in 96. And, you know, I went to my wife, my wife Kimberly, and I'm like, I'm going to help a couple of times a week. And I caught the bug bad. <laughs> <laughs> I caught it real bad. I didn't think I'd be interested at all. I didn't think I'd have a temperament. Um, but I, just like in PT, I had a, a knack and an eye for helping people and seeing things that maybe other people didn't see. And it just took off from there. Um, the following year, I, I followed um, Duck to Bluefield High School and met Jack Cochran. Um, a lot of people in Connecticut would know who he is. And uh, he's one of the more successful coaches in the history of uh, high school sports in that state and fortunate to be hired on the staff and, um, you know, to develop and grow and win some state titles and get to know a lot of, uh, unique, wonderful young men that, and, you know, a lot of guys that end up being, uh, higher impact football players from a class S school in Connecticut and that I still keep in touch with to this day. Um, and then, uh, moved on to answer a challenge in um, starting a football program at Ram High School in Hebron. I was the first coach there, and I coached uh, roughly four years there and decided to take a break Then went back for one year at Manchester High School before moving down here to Charlotte and then got in touch with uh, members of the coaching community here and coached in Myers Park High School, West Charlotte High School, and uh, was even fortunate enough to you know, coach at Johnson C. Smith University for a couple of years here at the Division II level. Um, been able to, and, and on top of that, maniacally figure out how to be, how to coach every single position but defensive line, be a coordinator, all three types of coordinators sometime in my career, special teams, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and as I mentioned before, head coach. So had a very well-rounded coaching career as well. Learned a lot. And, um, yeah, I even had the fortune of uh, reacquainting contacts with uh, Coach Spagnolo, and did so when he was head coach at the, with the Rams in 2011. And I got to experience an NFL internship there. Uh, when he had on his staff uh, Josh McDaniel as offensive coordinator, Sylvester Kroon, uh, Nolan Cromwell, and a bunch of other wonderful coaches. I learned probably more football in the two and a half weeks I was there than I probably had in the previous seven years. And it was work, great working with them. And uh, so, yeah, I've had a very fulfilling kind of career there as well, somehow fit in between working full-time as a PT. I got a couple questions from that. How, how, as somebody who was also a former college coach and worked a full-time job, how are you able to balance those things? Because I know for myself, sometimes it was very difficult. And then my other question would be, how, how was it playing for Coach Spagnuolo? Um, it was like you said, it was difficult. You know, sometimes, you know, you're able to adjust your schedule being a home therapist. And sometimes you make the decision to not have your caseload as high at uh, certain weeks. Um, 
and of course nowadays because you you're paid per diem or per per, per service or per patient you know cutting your pay paid pretty pretty well back when i started coaching it was salary based so uh as long as i kept certain numbers i was able to do so and so i would just shift numbers uh you know make my heavier numbers maybe toward the end of the week to balance things out as opposed to beginning in the middle of the week so you, you make adjustments there and that's how i was able to do it. again somehow by the grace of god i was able to balance it out um so yeah that's how that's how you you know you balance things out in terms of uh coaching uh playing for coach spagnolo um it was it was interesting because it was his first when he was a coordinator with us at uconn it was his first coordinating job he was a defensive back coach um when i first got there and he in fact recruited me um so uh, we kind of had a relationship you know coming out of high school um it was it it was it was cool but it was it was it was you know as a as a person that was um born to start and eager to start and you know him having his guys and upperclassmen you know i as a player back then i i wanted to play and i end up playing uh switching positions but you know you would make mistakes as a young player uh due to inexperience and I did say I, I started every season in the starting role, but there were a couple seasons where I got benched for somebody else and I had to earn my way back on the field. He was demanding. His his systems were um were complex. You needed a couple of years to master them because there was an adjustment for every adjustment in formation, you know, and you had to be smart to play for him. I see some of the same things now when when watching the Chiefs. Um I just get flashbacks all the time about, you know, watching them make adjustments and watching their safeties in particular make the calls, you know, according to the adjustment, um, adjustments in the offense made on the field. It, uh, it doesn't look, appear he has changed much. And, you know, there's, there's, there's probably reasons why he's hit at some places and, and not hit at other places is because there's, there's certain players that, uh, you know, are able to do well and play at a high level, making those mental adjustments on the fly, and then there are those that just want to line up and play. And if you're a guy that lines up and plays, you know, his defense is not going to work, and you're not going to do well in his defense. So, you know, you got to be a smart player to play for him. Absolutely. And I'd love to – shifting now to – I, I guess we could say that the current state of UConn football, I would love to know your thoughts uh, of the current state of the football program and moving forward. I think the current state of the football program is, is on an uptick for sure. I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's in a better state than it's been. I think, you know, there's been a lot of trolling, a lot of talk about how, we may not belong certain places or may not be, you know, belong in the consideration to go certain places. But I think the one thing that people have not researched and don't realize is, you know, in the, in the years of futility before uh, Coach Moore got there, there was a span where we went through three head coaches. Everybody knows that. But we also went through four athletic directors 
and six presidents in that time. Um, I don't know about you, having run a football program, you know, even at the high school level, you know you're not going to go anywhere unless you have commitment and support from the higher-ups, the administration above you. And when you have that kind of changeover, carryover, chaos, inconsistency, that era of futility in football was a reflection of that time at UConn. We were still a top-flight university, and and things were still being taken care of from an academic standpoint. There, that was no question being taken care of. And there were still championships being won by the women's basketball team, men's basketball team. But, you know, quite frankly, it's easier. I hope I'm not offending you by saying this, but it's easier to manage a basketball team because you need fewer players to make it work and coordinate than it is a football team. Um, you need everything working in order for it to be top flight and winning. And that was not happening at, at, at the university. So they've had that stability in place for the last few years with the new president, new AD, and now with, with Coach Mora. And so you're starting to see um, the effects of that. Things are slowly starting to rise and rise back to the standards they were when we were in the Big East. Um, he is recruiting very, very well and getting players that a couple of years ago would have no business sniffing our university, probably because of the, the chaos that it would probably could be sensed by all the turmoil and changeover in administration. And I think it's definitely on the uptick. 100%. And I'm a former college basketball coach, head college basketball coach, and I absolutely will agree with you 100% that it is a heck of a lot easier to run a basketball program than a football program just because of the fact I only had 15 to 20 girls I had to worry about, where in football you got 120 guys to worry about, let alone the the administration and everybody on on the academic side of things when it was in, in, in shambles, basically, when you're going through six different presidents and it's impossible to have success at that point, like you said. Yeah, it was, it, that was the, the striking thing in my research, in my, my pet project and trying to, you know, look after the program as alumnus that uh, to me was most striking. Um, how can you be successful? And, you know, okay, you have fans from Central Florida, you got fans from Memphis, you got fans from everywhere arguing against us. I'm not going to argue against our futility, but I would challenge every single one of them. Had your university been in the same position with the same dynamics and circumstances, would you have been as successful with some of the things that we're going to be detailing later on in the show? I would say no. I'd say probably absolutely not. And so, you know, my dad always told me, you know, you got to pad your resume a little bit. And sometimes you got to, you know, dive into details a little bit to extract those, those uh, compliments. And, you know, UConn, when, when you look at it, it's, it's, in, it's performed a lot better, especially the football program, given those circumstances and people want to give them credit for. Um, you know, I think Coach Moore, with his history and pedigree, is extremely credible and he's coached the highest levels of the sport. Everybody recognizes that. 
So that's a symbol of uptick right there. Um, he has a very good feel for the pulse and the type of vision and plan that was needed to get us out of that specific and, and quite frankly, dysfunctional situation we're in. And, you know, he's got the type of um, functional and I would say positive persona and personality um, that is probably the perfect remedy to deal with the, you know, some of the undercurrents of, of culture, not only with the fans outside the university, but, you know, some of the fan base within the state that may, you know, shed very openly their doubts about the football program as well. So. What are, what are your thoughts of, of those people that have those doubts? I, I understand uh, the, how, how much passion there is for the Big East and for basketball and everything, but I think we all see the landscape shifting when it comes to college athletics. And at this point, you either got to get on board or you're going to be left behind is how I look at it. Um. Connecticut has some very compassionate, heartfelt folks that love um, good things, old things, nostalgic things that, you know, that, that are good and good for the human experience. But at the same time, some of them can be so attached to it that they just don't want to see change. And those are the folks you kind of see sometimes that are, you know, I, in my opinion, they, they, they're fearful of losing something that they saw struggle from the ashes and, and get to be something good. And, you know, from a human standpoint, you can respect that, that perspective. But at the same time, like you said, the world is changing. And unfortunately, I mean, ideally, yeah, we would love to stay in the Big East. Ideally, we'd love to have a Big East football conference and play all those teams we used to play. But that's not reality anymore. And uh, if we if we continue to insist that you know things are just going to be fine, um, they're, they're not going to be fine. Eventually, the the changes are going to affect you know even conferences like the Big East, and you know UConn's going to be in as bad or a worse spot than it was the first time the Big East um, got dissolved. Um, you, you cannot. You cannot expect to maintain your um, status as a top-flight program uh, athletically and maintain the, the standards of the basketball program and not prepare for the paradigm shift that's coming. Um, it is what it is. I mean, it's clear as day. The biggest conferences are going to a pro model going coast to coast. And UConn is in such a unique situation, it's not even funny. Mm -hmm. um, it, people just recognize it. You're in, you're smack dab in the middle of the number one media market in the United States and the number nine media market in the United States in New York and Boston. You have tons of alumni in those cities and in all areas in between. You know, in addition, you know, UConn, in terms of specifically New York, has a unique possible partner in the Big 12 especially in, in Commissioner Yormark, who understands what it means to get your foothold in New York by relating with the community. You know, that contract he struck with Rucker Park was 
brilliant. Absolutely. Brilliant. Because, you know, you can have a presence in New York all you want, but if you want people to be loyal to you in that city, connect with them face to face. And that's exactly what he's done. I don't think the Big 12 fans realize, you know, all the ones that are pooing about our, our possibility in there. You don't know the jump in exposure and media you're going to get if you establish a foothold in New York City and you establish a foothold with a university like UConn that already has one foot in that city. We, we right now, the current kings, and we're smart enough, we'll stay there. And we'll just simply do that by continuing to be in the community, continue to recruit players from the, from the city, you know, be in grassroots with, with events in there. Shoot, have a flag football tournament and have our players there, Coach yep. Mora. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm serious because you're and you already got a star player yep. from that city in Jolie. Yep. And there is so much hidden athletic talent in that city, it's not even crazy. All those kids are going to be looking for an athlete, not, uh, for an outlet. Not everyone's going to be able to play basketball, even though the resources are there. Some kids like to hit. Some kids like to be violent. And you put them in an, an atmosphere, uh, uh, a functional, structured, martial atmosphere like a football team, they're going to they're gonna flock to you. And there's such a golden opportunity to build the football team and build all athletics by having a foothold in the, in, in the city uh, in partnership with the Big 12. Um, even with that, uh, with that partnership not in existence, the fact that we've had so much historical success in the city, there's no, no reason why we can't do it with the football program. There's been no real university that's ever really established a long-term footprint in New York. Notre Dame and Army had their chances, but they went and disconnected from you know those communities. And if you go through history and you see when a football team has connected with the city, those people are nationally known. Think of the 50s, 1950s Giants. Think of Joe Namath. Think of everybody that's been involved professionally. They have not sniffed the same kind of exposure since they've moved out of New York City. And if UConn can somehow find a way with some imagination, with creativity to, to do that and do that as a college team, the sky's the limit for the university and the sky's the limit for any conference that wants to um, accept them in the conference or in a conference. I absolutely agree with everything you just said. That first off, don't get me started on Justin Jolie, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's so true. I mean, that market, the New York City market, like you've said, when it has been tapped into, the resources are unbelievable. We know what it is from a basketball perspective, but like you said. The football side of things, when it's been tapped into and tapped into correctly, it's been absolutely amazing. And there is no reason that UConn cannot be that premier Northeastern University in, say, the Big 12, where they run it. Right. They they got to they gotta beat teams, though. And that's the right, thing. Right, right. Um, because it is the Northeast. And for everyone, again, arguing outside the Big East and those arguing against 
membership in the Big 12 and they want to use the fans as an excuse. Okay, let's let's go dive into a little history. Your university in whatever state you're in has probably been the show and the big show for a long period of time. UConn is in the middle of New York City and Boston. They've had literally centuries-old championship traditions with the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Knicks. So, you know, when you're, you know, I want to give an attaboy speech because you're the local university, you know, people are like, what do you mean? Uh, the Yankees have won 26 championships. What do you have to offer? What, do you, what, what efforts are you going to put into developing that? UConn has to recognize that in their drive to be a Power Five conference, um, if they if they want to tap into it, it's not a hard thing to do. Um, if you're committed to it, um, you have the player resources to do it. Everybody that says that you know they have no one to recruit. You know, check you know twenty four seven Sports and see that the state of Connecticut is in the top fifteen in producing. They're their top 247 players. So uh, there are resources there if you know where to look. Um, well, a lot of people don't know also about the state of Connecticut. Uh, I'll ask you this question, Bobby. You know, who have been the fastest sprinters? What nation has produced the fastest sprinters in the last 20 years? Well, I would have to say the United States and Jamaica. It's Jamaica, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Connecticut has one of the largest Jamaican immigrant populations in the country. Interesting. I did not know that. Um, Dwight Freeney, the product of Bloomfield High School, grew up in Jamaica. Didn't play football until his junior year in high school. Was a soccer goalie. Okay. You have other players and other Caribbean-based players, uh, other you know players with Caribbean roots in that state. The problem's been a lack of recognition to develop those players up until recently. Um, there's a lot more effort to do so um, because there's a recognition of the hidden talent in that state. A lot of the players, some of the players I coached at Bloomfield are now older adults. They've taken it upon themselves to go back home and help these young men. And you're starting to see some of the turnover come about in these guys being recruited and being recruited by big-time programs. There is talent in the state of Connecticut. It's no accident that last year, what was it? Two of the top four candidates for the top quarterback in the country, they came from the state of Connecticut in college football. Okay. Um, You've had past pros, Jordan Reed, who else? A bunch of people from the state of Connecticut. Uh, DJ, no, Aaron Hernandez, uh, from the Patriots. Mm -hmm. A lot of names are just skipping my mind right now, Uh, but you've had a significant amount make the NFL and have had professional careers. And UConn has contributed to that as well, like I said, when we get into more of the data that I found. So there's 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 talent to succeed. If you are in recognition of that and you commit to it, and that's, that's, you know, that's the thing that I think nutmeggers have to realize. You're more than just being a basketball school and a basketball state. Mm-hmm. Far more. Far, far more. Absolutely. And then let's, get, let's dive into that 
research that you've done about UConn football, not only putting players in the NFL, but getting those guys drafted. Last night, you, you put a Memphis fan in their place, and I was, I was so happy to see this with the information that you brought them. Memphis had some unprecedented success in their program over the past handful of years. But even when UConn was down, they still had more players drafted in the first through third rounds than Memphis had during that entire time frame. Yes, um, this kind of stemmed from um, our first um, kind of flirtation with being promoted to a Power Five conference back in 2016. We were denied, so I was like, okay, I just want to see for myself, you know, how far are we behind in terms of these other schools in the Big 12? Um, how far are we behind other athletic programs, quite frankly, in our own university with the men's and women's basketball team, soccer team? You know, are, are we really that trashy? Um, not only did I find out we're not that trashy, um, I got some new statistics here. I didn't post either that you know, well, comparatively speaking to some of the the, men, the men's basketball team and other other programs who've actually been as successful in certain categories or more successful than they have been. So I'll I'll share that in a minute. But in terms of you know the numbers, okay, from 2017 to 2022. We, we haven't been that great in producing pro talent. We've only had about four draft picks total. While, you know, teams like Oklahoma State had 13, Houston's had 12, K-State seven, West Virginia's had roughly eight draft picks in that time period, Baylor 13, BYU nine, UCF 13, Cincy 16, especially in 22 and 21. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, TCU had 13 and – Texas Tech 9, Iowa State 7. You know, Kansas was the only one we really beat, and they had three. And then you had, you know, other candidates like Colorado, San Diego State, Arizona, Memphis. I mean, Colorado had six in that time period from 17 to 21 or 22. Uh, San Diego State had 10. Uh, Arizona had three. So another team we kind of beat despite our futility and despite skipping a season. And Memphis had 11 in that time period. So in that six time, you know, all those teams whipped us. Okay, so all the fans, you know, they had their, their little ammunition to, to bash us. But but then when you considered, you know, the last 15, 14 years, from 09 to now, and we all know our history of futility, but this was the interesting, interesting caveat. From 09 to 22, despite producing only four from 17 to 22 we still produced 24 draft picks from the football program so now when you compare those numbers to those same schools you talked about oklahoma state only had three more than we did houston we had five more than they did they only produced 20 in that 15 year uh, 14 year span kansas state only had 19 we produced five more than they did. West Virginia, understandably, they produced 12 more than we did. They had 36. Baylor, 16. They've had some successful years in that time frame. BYU, national brand, large history, national championship. We produced nine more draft picks in that time period from 09 to 22 than they did. They only had 15. UCF, this is going to be funny. <laughs> they think 
this is going to be really funny because they will troll us more than anything, especially from the civil conflict stuff. They were even with us. They produced the same amount. Okay. Cincy was even with us until 21 and 22 when they had a bumper crop of talent. They ended up producing 10 more than us. They have had 34 draft picks um, from 09 to 22. But uh, up until 20, we were even with them. TCU, 19 more, 43 in that time period. Texas Tech, only 21. We had three more than they did. That's another fan base that's saying we don't belong yet. We've produced more than they have in the last 14 years. Iowa State, 12 more than they did, double. They only had 12 in that time period. And Kansas, we're plus 14 on them. They had 10 in that time period from 09 to 22. Uh, when you look at other teams, Colorado, they had 20, competitor 24. We had four more than they did in that time frame. San Diego State, they've been a good program. They've produced one more than we have. So every, anybody wants to say, you know, group of fives really don't add any value to the Big 12. Well, the two group of fives that are being considered have had more draft picks the last 14 years and over half your league. So consider that. Arizona had 19 in that time period. We're plus five on them. And then, like you said, Memphis had 17 in that time period. We're plus seven over them. And so, okay, I was like, all right, we, we've had some teams in the league or some players in the league, but I'm like, okay, were they one-year wonders or not? So I decided to, you know, be more specific with, you know, identifying or maybe having a category to, to – see how many, quote, established pros or higher potential draft picks we had. So, you know, I looked into how many players we did we produce from rounds one to three compared to these other schools. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. We produced from 09 to 22, 12 draft picks that were drafted in the first three rounds. And then when we compare it to these same schools, we beat Oklahoma State. We had two more. We beat Houston. We have four more. We beat Kansas State. We have five more. We don't beat West Virginia, but they only had one more than we did. They had 13 in that time period from 09 to 22 in the first three rounds. BYU, we double. They only had six. UCF, again, you like to talk about how superior you are, but again, you're even with us at 12. Cincy. We beat Cincy. We had more and more than they did from 09 to 22. TCU beat us, but they only had two more than us in the first three rounds. Texas Tech, we had five more than you had in the first three rounds from 09 to 22. Iowa State were plus eight. They only had four. Kansas didn't have any in that time period. We're plus 12. Colorado were plus four on them. They only had eight in that time period. San Diego State were above. We were plus five on them, as good a program as they've been. Arizona were plus seven, and Memphis were plus six. So only West Virginia and TCU were better at producing first through third round talent than we were in a 14-year span from 09 to 22. And that's all despite the changes and the chaos we talked about earlier. That was despite three head coaching changes, four ADs, six university uh, president changes. So again, I would challenge any 
Big 12 school, if they're in the same boat, would you produce the same results or help your players in the same field? Yes, I understand there's certain other logistical things that uh, we are more than capable of working out and working out quickly, but you can't argue against the data of the types of players we've produced. As, as somebody who does a ton of research myself, I appreciate that in those statistics that you've done, that you've come up with there. And I know how much time you probably spent with that, but it just shows you that there, there, the narrative that's out there. And I've, I've talked about this a million times, but the narrative that's out there that UConn football is just trash and, and has no business being mentioned and everything. The proof is right there, even with all the issues and deficiencies that were in place over that time frame that you talked about, look at what they were able to do. Just think of what they would able be able to do with the great leadership that we have right now moving forward. You know, I hear, I see a lot of posts about how Central Florida and some other schools might be a sleeping giant. You know, imagine what we would do with power five budgets mm -hmm. and with the stability that we now have with the coach like coach Mara, I say we are a sleeping giant. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. I think more than people realize and maybe some people fear that. Okay. But we're more than capable of holding our own in a power five conference. We proved that before when we were in the big East, we were part of two, you know, conference championships and we reached the BCS Bowl faster than the previous team in Boise State from the FCS level. There's no question we can play with the big boys and beat the big boys. And you give us enough time, you know, if the Big East were to con have continued, there was no question where our trajectory was going. Mm -hmm. It was going up. It was going up. You give us that same momentum, watch us. I'll just say watch us. Yes, <laughs> I absolutely agree. Uh, I would love to hear the other, other statistics you came up with for uh, other sports. Yeah, so, you know, again, this was in, in response to kind of the people within the fan base that were, you know, kind of making the same argument and maybe making an argument against you know, football itself and its pre and its prevalence in the state. This perplexed my mind, knowing the history of football and how Connecticut played in it. So I, you know, decided to dive in some numbers. And so, you know, there was an assumptive narrative that UConn football historically was a lower level or lower tier program. And, you know, being in one double A, you know, you, you can see how people would be led to that. And especially compared to other UConn men's sports, um, but that was kind of false. And so here are the numbers that I've, I've found. So from 20, um, 2009, again, we're going to go over recent history at first, 2009, 2022, uh, men's soccer had 21 draft picks. I couldn't find a reliable source for baseball, so I skipped them. Our baseball program has been great. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from them. They've been a top flight program and kudos to them. Uh, men's basketball, again, lower roster number. So, you know, take it in context. They've had 13 draft picks from 09 to 22. UConn football from 09 to 22 has had 24. Okay. 
almost double men's basketball. Um, the number of drafted UConn athletes with two years or more in a respective high-level pro league from 09 to 19, I didn't include the class of 20 and uh, through 22, but men's soccer was seven. So of those draft picks from 09 to 19, it was 35% of those draft picks end up establishing, establishing themselves in pro careers. Baseball had six major leaguers. I don't know what percentage of the overall draft classes between 09 and 19. Men's basketball had six, six out of 13. That's 54% had staying power. Football had 16. That was 72% of that, that draft pool from 09 to 19. Almost 20% larger than men's basketball. Okay. Now, you look into the proportion of UConn athletes historically throughout the entire history of UConn athletics that I was able to find that had, you know, two years or more uh, staying power in their high-level pro leagues, all sports. I found that, you know, men's soccer had 20. Uh, baseball had 19. Uh, basketball, 26. Football, of their draft picks, equal men's basketball, 26. And that didn't include what I found was the 31 free agents in the history of UConn football that also made teams and were productive two-year-plus pros. Um, and I also made a little note to everyone saying how much we were a basketball school um, from 1966 to 1989. We had four times the amount of players. It was small, but it was still four times the amount of players having established pro careers over men's basketball. It was four to one, literally. So... I then, then decided to break down these numbers, um, these established pro careers since we started Division One football, which was in 2000. So, again, I went and looked at soccer numbers. They had 19 draft picks from 2000 to 2019. Uh, 19 draft picks have two or more years in a pro league. That was 54% of that draft pool. And baseball was nine. Again, I didn't have an overall number. Men's basketball was 16 draft picks. They were at 73%. 73% of their, their guys that got selected ended up establishing themselves in the NBA. Football was 21. It was at 78%. Again, higher than men's basketball. So, so, so again, the narrative that's out there doesn't necessarily correspond with the numbers no it doesn't not at all um and again the total number of draft picks you know men's soccer since 96 they've had over 40 draft picks and since 2000 they've had 36 they've been doing work i didn't have a figure for baseball men's basketball was 22 from 2000 to 2022 and uh football had 29 from 2000 to 2022 so again in terms of raw numbers, we're, we're productive. We're productive. Um, and, you know, as we, we detailed all our numbers compared to other big-time football programs, that was, that was given in the previous list. 
you know, just for all the nutmeggers out there that want to say, you know, football really has no relevance in the culture and what have you, the number of players from Connecticut making it to the pro leagues, um, making it to the NFL, historically, you've had 205. They either come from directly from your state population or from the corresponding universities. With Major League Baseball, you've had 122. With the, the NBA, you've had 36. Okay? You're not a football state. You're not a, you know, you, you have had 205, almost double what you had in Major League Baseball, and six times the amount with the NBA. Um, when you look at football's productivity compared to the Big East, because there's a big, uh, big push and a big opinion that uh, going to the Big East was going to delegitimize football. So before we jumped into the Big East from 2009 to 2019, UConn football produced as many draft picks as the entire league of the Big East. Now, there's a caveat there. Um, I did not include Butler, Xavier, or Creighton before 2013 because they, I, I believe they didn't join before 2013. But our football program was as productive as an entire league in producing pros. And then and this might, you know, go to the narrative of how the Big East uh, now – you're hearing a narrative, well, we owe the Big East, uh, Big East, you know, saved us. I would say, yes, that's that's true, but this would, um, I think, add to the value of the UConn brand because um, for 2009 to 2022, they have a plus five advantage on the UConn football program. We produced 18 draft picks. The Big East has produced 23. They, um, so I think that speaks to the value that UConn has also brought to the Big East. So, you know, with those numbers and, and then you compare our draft picks to other historic programs, even Yale's, we're only one short of Yale in terms of historic draft picks. We've had 44, they've had 45, but we've had 29 since 2000. They've only had five since 2000. And the point there is that Yale was a historic power. It took them 110 years with scholarships to produce 35 draft picks. And we produced 40 NFL draft picks since 1961. So, and then when you compare um, upper tier one through three round picks to other Northeast programs, from 2004 to 2022, Penn State had 30. BC's had 17, but when we were in the Big East, UConn and BC were even at nine apiece in rounds one through three. Um, we've had 12, Rutgers has had 11. Again, while we're in the Big East, we're even with them. Uh, they had nine, we had nine in the rounds one through three. Temple has had seven. Syracuse has had five. So the so-called narrative about us not being a legit football um, program 
It's a bunch of BS. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like we've already said, this is in a predominant area era where UConn hasn't had a ton of success as a team, but they've still produced very, very talented athletes, obviously. We attract them. I mean, there's a lot, again, to attract them. We have a wonderful university. It's a picturesque university. Um, the people there are good folks. Um, they, and they, they outweigh, they far outweigh the trolls that you see on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good people uh, that, that look after one another. But, you know, there's there are certain dynamics that, you know, that are high. They're high standards that we got to, and I'm, I'm glad finally uh, we have a head coach and AD and a president that recognize that and are attacking that full tilt. Um, and that's what's been needed. Um, we didn't have athletic directors, quite frankly, that knew how to handle um, big time athletics. Um, they rode the wave. I think they rode the wave in terms, my opinion, they rode the wave in terms of what was established through the Big East and through Lou Perkins that was there. But once we were, you know, given the challenge of having to switch a league and switch to a league where, you know, it was somehow it was clear to me and other alumni that we had to up our game and take care of ourselves. But for some reason, with coaches in in administration, they thought it was the way was just going to continue to be ridden. And that's how we fell into oblivion. You know, now we have folks that, you know, know what they're doing and are driving our athletic department, our university forward um, and and being prepared for this, this new paradigm that's coming. Absolutely. <clears throat> and, and it's like the discussion that uh, we saw uh, just this morning from a, a basketball booster saying it's not when or not if, but when the shift happens. And, and I've been told the exact same thing from others. It, it's, it's only a matter when it happens because it is going to happen. Right. And again, I can understand people's trepidation. I mean, there, there, there've been a couple of, um, uh, personalities on Twitter and YouTube that have recognized very clearly that, um, that pride left at the altar kind of dynamic that sometimes some of our fan base expresses. And it's it's justifiable a little bit. I mean, everybody knows about what happened with the old Big East and having mm-hmm. to go to the AAC. Um, people also got to remember how the Patriots kind of pulled the rug out of Connecticut and Hartford by really playing games to leveraged um, a stadium being built in Foxborough at the last minute. They were coming to Connecticut and coming to Connecticut heavy, and people were starting to invest in building a football stadium in Hartford and then had that rug pulled out from them. So, you know, Connecticut fans have seen a lot. And so, you know, some are going to be skeptical on that. That's understandable. Um, And, you know, quite frankly, my own father would say, you know, until the, the... paper signed it's not signed and so we got to continue to produce we've got to continue to move forward and again i think we have the right people to do so and now it's up to the players to to go out there and uh decide whether they're going to be you know 
right on last year are evolving to the type of uh black better term assassins they need to be in order to to get the results on the field absolutely agree and and i think we've 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 covered a lot here and i think it's really it's been a pleasure to have you on and and discuss all this and to just get all this information out there all these statistics out there about this program not being as as bottom of the barrel as everybody thinks it is it's it's nowhere close again you know superficially you can understand it but you know the numbers are here and uh if people had bothered to to look into it instead of engage some of and you know excuse my language some of the half-assed thinking they did in writing articles um wouldn't have to rely on people like me but uh, i think some reporters need to throw some coin my way for doing their job but that's me and i will help any way possible because you deserve it for doing all that work and like i said it's been tremendous having you on pete i i have thoroughly enjoyed this and thank you hey no problem and it's you know honestly that a love for my brothers all love for the little brothers in the brotherhood um you know because i want to see everybody succeed and uh you know it's 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 my contribution to the guys that are there now you know to let them know hey no listen to the talk mm-hmm. you're you're part of a proud history you'd be proud to bleed blue and go out there and kick some ass yes sir and we're all going to be cheering them on that's for sure that's it well again thank you pete so much for joining me tonight it's been a pleasure thank you very much bobby and um hey bleed blue go huskies absolutely thank you to all my loyal listeners who always tune in it's a pleasure to uh bring these interviews to you everybody have a good night god bless